Welcome to um, the Game Breakers podcast, where we look at bringing you the tips and insights and experiences from the world of sport. My name is Rob Nicolay, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Danny Wilson. Uh, but today, our guest is none other than former Halifax, Leeds Rhinos, and most notably, Bradford Bulls and St. Helens player, as well as Huddersfield Giants League lead winners coach, and of course, current England Knights and Warrington Wolves Academy coach, Paul Anderson. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, Rob. Danny, good to see you. Yeah, new Paul. Thanks, mate. Rob, can you say league leaders again? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> league leaders, winners. Yeah, there we go. Sweet. Um, like you say, so I think Danny uh, touched on it earlier just before we'd started, but you know, sort of getting into it and knowing you as a person um, just as much as a, as a player and a coach. So to kick off, really, um, the first one is, is a bio for yourself and just describing yourself uh, as the man, the son, the father, and the player and the coach. You know, how do you how would you describe yourself? Give me a prompt there then. Which was the first one? Because you reeled it off pretty quick. <laughs> so Paul Anderson is the man. Go on. The man. Uh honest. I think that's that's a big thing for me. That's one something I as a player, I didn't think I always got told the truth about myself. So that's one of the things now from myself, moving with my family and whatever, probably buys into the other things that you said there. That I just want to be honest. That's the thing. So as a man, I want to be honest. And I've, I've been, I feel like I've been lucky as well. Is that one, is that one of your cornerstones, Paul, that you run through? You know, being a son, being a father, everything, yeah. that, that, that falls throughout everything in your life. Yeah. Jeez. It's something that goes through being a, being a husband, being a—I was going to say being a wife as well, then, which <laughs> sometimes. So, uh, so being a husband and a dad, and uh, obviously coaching as well. I think there's there's got to be something that that links everything that you're about that makes you as a person. And I think the thing for me is is that honesty is the key. Like I was saying there, is sometimes as a player, from coaches, they they just when you spin your yarn and you think you walk out of a meeting where you've been dropped or you've been picked or contract talks and stuff like that and if you been honest you didn't know what day it was and it was like why, why can't they just tell me I'm either being retained they want to offer me this this is the, this is a brass tax this is what we're going to do or we're going to let you go or we're dropped or whatever it may be and uh, I think that's something there from with my missus my missus knows me better than anybody and dinner shit I'll tell her so I think that's uh, from another room <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but to be fair, that ties the turn now because I do all the cooking. So it's uh, she tells me. Uh, so it's uh, yeah. It's just I think there's got to be something that ties all that together. And I think there's levels, obviously, as as a son and as a father and a husband and stuff like that. You sometimes you'll dress it up, but ultimately the message has got to be clear. Outstanding. You've achieved so much in in your career, Paul. So much as a player. And, and now as a coach, grand finals, challenge cup successes, Great Britain international appearances, everything like that. But it started somewhere, and you know you've been on a bit of a journey. Um, I just want you to kind of take us through what that journey looked like from you know being a youth rugby player to becoming establishing yourself as a regular bull during that kind of period of, of bull mania. Yeah, it's. I think one of the things more often is being coming from Castleford, being a cast lad. It's. Back back then, I feel old now, which I know I am. But it's, there's only one thing you ever wanted to do, and that was that was play rugby. And secondly, was play for cast. That was the thing. And being of a being a, being a bit, bit bigger human than usual people, I think that that helped me towards drift towards the game. Uh, 
remember one of my friends' dads just said, come and play. We were coaching at Red Hill at the time or something. And I just went up and played. And 40 odd years later, I'm still doing it. So it's uh, that's what it was. Playing junior football in Rancastle, that's all you ever want to do. You go to school the next day and wear your, wear your black eye and your scars you wear them with pride, which made you think you'd been in a big game and stuff like that. And actually put your head where it hurts. And uh, Yeah, junior football in and around Castleford. Uh, playing that, uh, never really felt like I was a, a great player or anything like that. Just I was knew I was bigger than everybody else, so I made it a little bit easier. Uh, and moving through, uh, I was very fortunate when uh, I got to like 16, 17 years old that uh, in Castleford at the time there was only really two teams, which was which was Red Hill and Lockline. It's a bit different now with Cast Panthers and stuff like that. Whereas Red Hill's gone and. Uh, what it was is Andy A's dad, John, he was coaching with a fellow called Dennis Hartley, who sadly recently just passed away. He was the former Great Britain, front rower, Castleford, Hunslet, all that type of stuff. I think he won the World Cup as well, Dennis. And he played with my uncle, who was Fred Ward, who was a, a uh, he was Hunslet player coach in 65 when they went to Wembley. And he put it, he took a bit of a shine to me at that age and took me under his wing a little bit, give some, not so much fatherly advice, but the old pro type stuff, armed round you. This is what to do. Teddy has stuff like when you're scrumming, if he's being a bit of a dick or anything like that, put your head here and push it hurts and all this type of stuff. And the, the old war horse, he got the scars and he took me under his wing a little bit. And back then, the, because of the, the rivalry between Lot Lane and Red Hill, like it was 15s, 17s, 19s, all that type of stuff. Every other year, there was you'd move from Lot Lane to Red Hill. So 15s, you'd be with Red Hill, then 17s, you'd be with Lot Lane, then 19s, you were back with Red Hill. That's how it was. Uh, you got fun policing that at the minute, weren't you? But uh, with that, I just lost you. Yeah, just lost you. Just lost you then, Paul. Sorry, when you said you moved from... Yeah, um, so you, you were moving from club to club a little bit there, or from team to team. The team stayed the same. It was the same kids that just moved from one club to the other, some sort of agreement between them. But Dennis, uh, during the week there, when it got to under-17s, under-19s, I think it was, there was like a... They called it DDA League. So you, you actually went down on a Wednesday and played for Castleford. So you played in Castleford Colours, you played at Weldon Lane or the Jungle, whatever it is. You play against Wigan, you play against Oldham, you play against probably whole teams as well back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, from my point of view, it was like, just go and play, play Featherstone and stuff. That Featherstone team had likes of Paul Newell and whatever. So there was fair amounts of uh, good competition. I was fortunate to play in that, coached by Dennis and John A. And uh, I think, I don't know the exact numbers, but so we played seven games that year. And I think I got man at match in nearly most of them. So back then they'd do a presentation in the clubhouse and you'd get given a tie. So I'd got, got all these ties somewhere. And uh, but a 17-year-old kid in the 80s or whatever, he's given a tie, that's the last thing you needed. So, <laughs> but anyway, it is what it is. And I remember moving then from that into the professional game. Is that I think that last year when I was there, was probably one of the last years that Dennis coached because... As I understand it, is that he had a massive argument with Castleford as a club. So they they won't sign me. And mm-hmm. that's the only other thing I wanted to do. And I played a couple of games in their A team and stuff like that. And, uh, Dennis had a massive argument. And I'm not sure of the detail on this, but I think he had some sort of rift and his relationship was never the same again. We can see his coaching. And anyway, I never signed for Castleford. And that they I did a couple of training sessions with them and Dallow Van der Velde at the time uh, he invited me to come and do some training. So I went and, like I said, being a rather large human, didn't quite buy into the training. It used to be 
summer training sessions back then. And it was all five and 10K runs. And one thing I hate is running, even though I've been a former sportsman. And uh, I was pathetic, if I'm being honest, as a, for that type of stuff. And Dennis, uh, not Dennis, Daryl, to be fair to him, this combines into that stuff before about just tell me where I'm at. Probably didn't realise it at the time, but Daryl, instead of uh, sitting me down and saying, look, mate, not for you at this point, or you're not for us, sent me a letter. So, sent me a letter and telling me that, in his opinion, I'd never make it as a professional rugby league player. Right. And, you know, the biggest regret I've got in my life at the minute is I still haven't, I've, I haven't got that letter. I wish I had kept it. Yeah. And, uh, should put it in a frame and put it on the wall and every day I look at it and somebody's telling me something you can't do. I've just been watching the uh, Michael Jordan and stuff at the minute. I'm not putting myself on his level, by the way, but that's what he did. He always wanted a challenge and that's what spurred him to that next level. And from that point of view, then after that, I went to like a, an open trial type thing at Leeds Rhinos or Leeds Rugby as it was then. Scout asked me to go along, went from there. Then David Ward, who was the coach, saw me there. Asked me to play in the A team, played a couple of games in the A team, and got signed on at Leeds Rhinos. So it's, it's, and that was probably around about 18 year old. It wasn't at the 14 year old that we're getting in our systems at the minute, or 16 mm. year olds. It was fairly late. So it was, it was interesting. Very, very well, interesting. Must, must take some pride to First, when you're telling that story, there's a lot of well, emotion in that, yeah. and the people that helped you along the way, Paul. And then obviously, that's regardless of keeping that letter or not. You know, you've had that in your mind and, and look back now, you must have some pride in what you've achieved. Well, going back on that one, is the, just that letter. It's, so I'd, up until that point, Daryl Van Der Velden, things like that, I always had it in the back of my mind, but never probably really got the opportunity to say thank you to him. And uh, believe it or not, when I think it was 2017, some way put during 2018, me and Dave Rotherham with the England Knights when I was working with the RFL, we had to, we had to, go do a recce of Papua New Guinea. Um, mm. So we went out there, with, I think it was nine flights in seven days or something like that, which was interesting. And uh, we went to one of the PNG Hunters game and Dal van der Velde is one of the directors of QRL now, Queensland Rugby League. So he's director of something, I'm not quite sure. So we're in the box and stuff like that. Been trekked well, PNG was a great country. Uh, in walks Darrell. Anyway, so I'm stood there talking and he's come over and things like that. We're talking and you have a couple of beers, you sat watching the game and stuff and it was about 100 degrees. So I was sat in, I had to ring me on his out at half time, it was that hot. And, uh, Not nerves then? No, no. So I just said to him, I just thought to him, I was just sat there and as soon as I saw him, I thought, right, I'm going to have to say something here, which buys a bit, a little bit back to me, just getting smart off my chest. And I just said to him, I said, mate, I need to thank you. And we're like, what to what? So you probably might not remember this, but. I was a kid at Cass when you was there and I went through the scenario with him again and stuff like that. And you tell you're looking at him and he's thinking, what the hell are you on about here? So just, and the other thing that that makes you realise then now as a coach is some of the little things that you say and do, the, the profound effect that they can have people and the long lasting effect that they can have on people as well. Yeah. I thanked him and uh, we talked about it and uh, he couldn't remember if I'm being honest, but that, that one letter that was probably scribbled on a piece of paper that took literally 30 seconds to write, was, was probably the fire that got me through to where I was or probably where I am, to be fair. There's a couple of things in that, Paul, and obviously now in your, in your role as a coach, and you're probably having to deliver them messages in some way to players that really, at that time aren't quite good enough. So is that what you know, allows you to have that uh, understanding? And then the second caveat to that is, well, you came back 
and and for young players, they, they can do. If anybody can follow that trend, and just because somebody's opinion isn't highly obvious, doesn't mean to say that it's going to be everybody's. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that everybody's got a story out there. I'm, I'm a big believer in uh, when I was at Huddersfield, I worked for a, a performance coach called Carl Morris. Still, I'd class him as a friend now. Still talk to him, text all the time, and he. He talked all the time, and this, this what helps fuel things with us. Or just feeling when we got the job was uh, we we our story. What's our story? And everybody has a story. So where we are, from where we were to where we are, it's part of our journey, and it's our legacy. Whatever title you want to put to it, but I use I like talking about the story. And uh, that one thing helped me put the story together that I have and every every little things like we talked there about football career from one club to another to another to another and all that type of stuff they're all different chapters in your story mm. and it's uh, how you then you have a choice when you if you break the story down you have a choice in deciding how each page is written and one other thing and then obviously once you get you write one chapter you can go to the next one and you can you have a choice in regards to not only what page it is but what words what next words written you have a choice in everything that you do within your life. And some things are tough decisions, some things are not. But I think one of the things that these experiences help with young players, and the young players don't understand this, you just see it as somebody who tells them what to do or tries to help them with stuff. They don't understand that you're telling them from experience. You're telling them, when you're telling them, look, if you're going to make a mistake here, believe me, this is going to be the outcome. Well, what do you know? Well, I've actually made that mistake probably 100 times myself. But part of my job is to make sure that if you make that mistake twice, I'm probably doing the wrong job. I'm not doing my job properly, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. back, back in the day, we, you, do, you don't get the support mechanism. We were just talking about how, some ways, how we try and think about supporting players. Obviously, we can't do it at the minute with all this furlough and stuff. But you care about them, so you want to try and help them. So that, I think that's the... They don't realise that actually you're not telling them you're trying to inform them and educate them through experience, not through this is black and white and this is what should be done. This is what you should do in a game. And through experience, you realise that actually the game's not black and white. It's fairly grey. But opinions can be that way. So you got to tell them when they're doing right and wrong, all that type of stuff, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. You touched on their club to club and, and different chapters in your book. Talk to me about the Bradford Bull chapter and what that was like. Oh, uh, yeah, it's great. It was good, really good. It, I think one of the, I talked about it from before is that at some point within your within our stories and stuff like that, you hit a point and you actually see it strikes a chord with you and you and you and you, you find a home. If I'm being honest, Leeds when I was a kid was a massive club. Managed to play 30, 40, 50 games. I don't know the exact numbers, but then moving from there to Halifax, which was chalk and cheese, it was. So different from one big club to a smaller club up in uh, Calderdale, where it was ridiculous. And then going to Bradford, which was this big, big entertainment machine. And then the players that was in there, all the razzmatazz that was going around around the club and stuff like that, never really got back to the players. The players embraced it. The players actually good and actually want to rip into it and embraced it. Now, I come in one of my first games at Bradford, going in there and thinking, what am I doing here? Why, why, why have they signed me? You go in and you're looking around the, the roster and you're looking around the change rooms and stuff like that. And then actually, after a period of time, you get going and you think, well, this is probably why they signed me. I remember when I signed, I signed on the Thursday and there was a game on the Friday. And uh, I think it was round one in 20, 
97 it was. Uh, they played Warrington, it was a full house, and obviously there's a new sign that looked after your VIP treatment and all that type of stuff, and uh, they actually fought them, so why? I think they went and beat Warrington by 50 in that first game, and we're like, what? It's going to be a long year, this, you're not going to break into this team, and uh, it was all from that point of view, the, the, the way they cared about it is there's a lot of people there that actually did a lot for you away from the field as well as on it. And that allowed you then to uh, really enjoy yourself. And <clears throat> the way that that team and squad was built was, was unreal. It was, built, it was built, and, built and based upon one thing, which was size. That's probably why they signed me. Just on that, um, so like you say, what was your role, would you say, within that successful team? What allowed you to do so well when you talk about trying to break into that team? Well, I can remember that year, there was, I think, a week or two later, I played a couple of assignments. It was quite funny, to be fair. Stevenson, Bradford had come from me the year before when Brian Smith was there. I've since found out. He was obviously in there. I only found this out when I went to meet Matty Elliott before I signed at Bradford. And he said, oh, you, you know that we kept Brian Smith wanted to bring you last year and Halifax stopped it. And I was like, no. So I was on contract. And uh, so there was a lot of up and downs from me. At Halifax at the time, there was a lot of illness and stuff like that. And uh, went to meet Matty. And, and one, of the th uh, one of the things that was keeping me at Halifax was Steve Sims. He was the head coach at the time. And, uh, Obviously, somebody at Hull, Carl Harrison, he was there at Halifax as well. <clears throat> and I think what Sims he saw was young bull, old bull type mentality. He knew Carl Harrison was getting to a certain age. He was probably 30 plus at that point, And I was early 22, 23 year old, whatever it is. And he saw, he probably, the roles there was Rhino was getting me ready to take his place, whether he knew it or not. But Sims he basically kept saying no, no, no. And then the day after as soon as he got sacked, I got a phone call from the chairman at the time and said, right, Bradford have come for you again, you're off. We've accepted the offer. So the things like that that usually happen. And uh, going there and actually speaking to Matty Elliott and realizing these things and him sitting there and telling you what he thinks you can do was quite interesting. And uh, the negotiations, the financial things were done between me and Matty Elliott in about five minutes. No agents or anything like that. This is what the money is. I said, well, now I want a bit more. Right, yeah, here we go. Here it is. Right, yeah. Signed a three-year deal. But when I signed, I'm trying to break into that team. The first thing I did was get to play reserves against Halifax. They paid, I think, something like 70 grand transfer fee for me or something like that. I did Bradford at the time. So it was a fair investment. And uh, the reward for that was going and playing reserves at From All at the time. So I was like, you know, what's going on here? I got a shitload of abuse off the Halifax players. 70 grand to play reserves and all this type of shit. And it was like, I know what Matty was doing. He just wanted to, basically at that point, is what they, they were a different level of professionalism in regards to the coaching. First time really actually. And this is something with young players at the minute is, is that when they come to academies and stuff like that, it's actually opening their eyes up to some of the detail of the game because all their lives they're just going to play the game, aren't they? So... It's the smartness from us is trying to make sure that actually not forgetting what we've brought them here to do and what their traits are rather than just trying to coach them to a stereotype. Uh, which, unfortunately, that's what we're trying to do. With, we try and follow the NRL, don't we? We try and create players what they want. I think that's beating my our game, not their game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so just working with that and getting your eyes open to 
some of the aspects of the game and it's it was unreal and actually been I can remember once I missed a tackle on uh, playing Sheffield and it was one game with Matty Elliott's got the video and I'm sat there and I'm thinking just get it over with and he rewound it played it rewound it played it rewound it played it and I'm sat there and I'm thinking oh, hey Matty come on yeah yeah I'm not mate yeah I'm not good enough there I've got to be better yeah I'll work on it he rewound it and played it and I was like Jesus Christ it was like probably one of the first times really that it was, we won the game by 40 points, but his message was loud and clear. Basically, that we play Saints next week, and that happens, you lose the game. It makes you, makes you think about what you're going to do and stuff. And I was like, come on, Matty, move on. Got you. Yeah. Anyway, he rewound it, played it, rewound it. He must have done it 10 times. And he just went at the end and he went, and he showed two clips of me. I scored two tries in that game. And he just went, you won up. So you old as that one, so you got one up. Good, good job you did that. I was like, all right, yeah, cheers, mate. So, so I let one in and scored two, so that put us one nil up apparently in his mind. Um, it just worked at the try scoring from that day on. I <laughs> <laughs> did a nice little combination there with Jimmy Lowe's. It was Bernard Dwyer player, he used to call it spin play on try line. And if you got it right, it was hard to stop. You've got low and attacking, basically trying to get knees down the defences these days. We cheat too much around marks on try line to get away with it. So... But yeah, that that the things that were going there was how do I break into that team? It was just got to the end of stripes and go and play. And there was a Challenge Cup semi final, and I think they played on the Saturday. So in '97, I was cup tied because I played. I think it was OKR for Halifax. We got beat at OKR. It was OKR when the dog track was around the field. So the field was about 30 meters wide by 60 meters long. It was tiny. It was a mud bath, and uh, we got beat. So I played in that game. So wasn't eligible to play in the Challenge Cup. So I couldn't play in the semi-final. I don't think I'd have been picked anyway, but on the Tuesday night after that Saturday, we got to play Castleford in a rearranged game. So that was my debut. And uh, so the rest is history. I played that year. We won 20 games straight. I think I played in most of them. And uh, won the won first, first real year ago in there. We won the competition. It was, uh, it was interesting uh, baptism, let's say, of uh, trying to get into that machine and when it was rolling. So that, the other thing was that as well is that when I went to Bradford, when, once I got in that team, that was the 24-year-old. was the real first time I'd actually become a regular within the team, playing consistently every week, rather than being in, play reserves. The things that young players do, there's got to be some exceptional talent at 18, 19, 20, 21 to actually be playing every week. And obviously, I, I wasn't one of them, which I never uh, to be, professed to be. And uh, it was... Uh, like I said, the first time, at the end of that first year of 97, I was absolutely knackered because we played more games than I probably had done in the last eight years. Just on the back of that, um, obviously the, the memories that you've got within, within well, two really successful teams, what was your sort of greatest memories about those those grand finals, you know, and then challenge successes <laughs> as a player? The best memory I've got of my career is growing up as a kid. I remember from a... Mum and dad divorced when I was pretty young and stuff like that. So I was always living with mum and she did everything she could to try and provide and never went without. So thanks to her for all that. And uh, I always remember watching the Challenge Cup Saturday afternoons, watching the game. And one of my, one of my first real memories was around about 12 or 13 year old was Featherstone v Hull. The, was it 83 final? When I think David Hobbs scored a couple of tries and, and I'm talking to all lads here, but 
do up that, but that's like the biggest memory. I think that was one of the things that actually fought me. Actually, I, I love this game, love, love being part of it. And from that point of view, it was like every Saturday afternoon in, I think it was May or June or whatever the cup final used to be. I might be way wrong dates off the that, but it uh, Saturday afternoon Challenge Cup. That was that was all you ever wanted to do. You didn't really ever want to play at Wembley. And uh, in 2000 at Bradford, it uh, it came to fruition for me. We played Leeds at Merrifield. A little story for you there is Challenge Cup. I've been very very fortunate. I think as I said, I don't know the details, but I think I've won it three times or two or three times and lost it probably the same amount of time so I've been lucky enough to be involved in them finals but the first Challenge Cup final was the first one that was taken away from Wembley and the last Challenge Cup final was the last one before it went back so <laughs> I never really your boyhood dream of playing at Wembley uh, never came to fruition but I've coached there as an assistant we just feel we know now so that, that scratched an itch that's there <laughs> it's that 2000 Challenge Cup final at at Merrifield, that was, uh, yeah, that was uh, fairly special, very, very special. It was the first real trophy. Well, we played in the grand final the year before in 99 and got beat, see at St. Peter's. Dominant team all year in 99 got beat in the big show and then went the year after and uh, won the big one at, at uh, Merrifield. Standing. A lot of, a lot of very good memories there for you, Paul. Um, with, with your cup wins and stuff, especially Bradford in, in that dominant period. <clears throat> what was a move like to Saints, and and you know, how did you cope with that? Whether it be you know took it uh, head on, or it was something that you was reluctant to do. How did you cope with that move, and and what came on the back of yeah, that? I, one of the things with that is I think that move to Saints didn't really ever come around till last minute. The, the, I think it was two thousand and four. We played at Bradford. We obviously, at Bradford in 2003, we, we cleaned up. We won the grand final, won the Challenge Cup and league leaders and all that type of stuff. So, managed to do the treble. Or, I don't even know if that's what it's called, but we won all three trophies. And going into 2004, I was coming off contracts and was going into being 33. Uh, struggling, got chronic knee problems. I've got nerve damage in my arm from a broken arm and plates put in and stuff like that. And the, the, that's the sexy side and obviously sees professional sport and uh, pre-season I can remember thinking something's not right here so I was doing training and stuff like that and, and like when you start doing things never really got pushed forward for anything and I was never anybody who just that's right right and then gets it back I was I would be I just take things in, in my stride I think which probably helped me with the coaching to be fair and uh, I could feel something's not right we got to trial games and uh I was on the bench on one and got on for about five minutes in one game. And I went to see Brian Noble and see what's going on. He said, oh, don't worry, your time will come and all this stuff. Steve McNamara was just coming on to the coach and stuff. And Stark Macker was challenging him, challenging everybody on off their off-ball things and stuff like that. And I know myself, I, I watch all these Super League goal things now and see clips of myself and whatever. And I think to myself, what were you doing? Now, you, if I was coaching me, I wouldn't get picked. And it's just, mm. just them different challenges and it's different games to be fair back then and uh, started then and I was like played another game and got 15 minutes so I was like something's not right here so I went and saw Nobby and he just went he says uh, he says no he says you're starting against Penrith in the World Cup Challenge I was like in two games I've played 20 minutes and then all of a sudden you're throwing me in here and this that new and I was like 
Mm. All right. Yeah, good. So all of a sudden you've gone in there for a battle in regards to what's going on and you come out you come out with a golden egg because you, you managed to start in a, in a big game. And remember the start of that game. can't remember much about the game other than being quick. All I can remember is we received the kickoff and the ball came to my side. I just looked at the line and thought, right. One of my traits on the on use favourite carry set starts were brilliant because the defence is stood and you can get to both people. The ball's in the air and I'm looking and I'm thinking, right, I picked somebody out in the line. It was Craig Gower, to be fair, who originally Australia player and stuff like that. I just thought, right, you big fellas going over top of it and you're having it. Whether depending what comes off here. Anyway, I managed to run straight over top of him and play tackle two was on halfway, so the game's up and running and in my mind it was halfway, it was probably twenty meters, but it felt like a made a break. And anyway, that was that and played that game and then a couple more games and uh really struggling with my arms and stuff. But the back of that was uh coach came to me at the time and says, Look, he says, We want to extend you. So I was like, Beautiful, thirty three. He says, I'm going to give you a two-year deal, no more money. I was like, perfect. Text me to my testimony. I'm happy with that. Testimonial. Retire off back of that. That's me done. That'll take me to just short of 35. Happy. Done. Been very, very fortunate. Can start thinking about other things then because you've got that immediate future sorted. You can then start looking at the picture beyond that. Uh, anyway, time's going on that year and you're looking at it and you go to Nobby and you go... Uh, What's happening, mate? Yeah, I'm on it, mate. Don't worry. Right, yeah, no worries. Time goes on. What's happening, mate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. So I'm, you know, because some more time goes on, and you go to it, and you go, you go, going on, no, it. Oh well, the boardroom in an hour, you know. So I'm like, right. And I won't name the player, but one of the somebody said to me, with a player, a fairly high-profile player, said something to me, and I was like, this is all on reflection. You think about it, and it's something like the Van der Velt thing that stuck in your mind. And one of the senior players just went, you're after a two-year deal, knee and arm and stuff like that, and knackered and this, that and the other. And just like, like that and walked away. So I was like, all right, so somebody's saying something to you that's not saying it to me. So obviously that theory of uh, what's going on, uh, honesty. Anyway, time comes and I, I actually then goes to him and says, right, what's going on again? Boardroom and hiring and all this. I'm telling you, you'll come back and hurt them and all this. And so I was like, right, yeah, no worries. Anyway, at that point, I've not thought about anything else with any other club. I'd actually considered retirement and we're trying to tee something else up, and actually a job, trying to get a job and work and stuff like that, walk away from them again. It's about sliding doors moments and stuff. So Abby Okoku at the time just ran me and he said, uh, Eamon wants to have a chat with you. I'm like, Eamon? I'm like, Eamon, uh, since chairman. He's like, right, yeah. Would you be interested? Yeah. Obviously, I knew Lee Gilmore were there. He'd been played at Bradford with him and stuff like that. Anyway, I had one conversation. Uh, that was it. Nothing really spoke any money. Uh, I went back back in. Like Rubber Lee says, if you've got a secret, forget it because everybody knows it. Walked back in. Uh, Nobby pulled me. He said, mate, I've heard you've signed for Saints. You should give us an opportunity to re-sign. I was like, mate, I've not signed for anybody. So it's not really, I'd, I've had one conversation, that's it, but it's gone nowhere. I promise you, I've not signed anything. So I says, right, where are we at? He says, right, leave room. I need to get on with it. Usual, usual games. And uh, anyway, long story short, come back. And I was, I'd got the shits to be fair. And he says, oh, we're running an hour. He went back in and I says, well, don't worry about it, mate. He says, well, I've signed for science. He says, you've had your opportunity. So I've gone. 
so that one moment of one phone call was like from thinking last thing I ever want to do. One of the things I can remember is emotional. One of the things people don't realise and it probably comes back to me as a man, I'm like thinking pretty emotional, which I think should come out of my coaching as well. Start throwing things and stuff like that, especially at super league level. Uh, but it's I can remember the last game, 2004, I'd been out with a knee problem, microfractures, all this type of stuff. The, the, the story of the aging players and I got picked for the grand final after not playing for three months. It was a poor call on Richard Moore at the time. So I played, I got 10 minutes in that game, got put on after 20, got took off after 30, never went back on. I got beat by Lee's, that was the start of the Lee's dynasty then when they started rolling. So I felt embarrassed that I'd actually won his, he'd done that to me, which I weren't happy about. And uh, yeah, but one, the day after having a beer, Mad Mondays and stuff like that, I remember it got to a point and I thought, I've had enough of this, I'm going. I went and saw Robbie Paul and said to him, says, mate, I'm off. I think I actually burst out crying to be fair because that was like the end of that era moving forward, if you know what I mean. I was never a big socialiser anyway, but it was a point where I just thought, right, that's it, I need to go, but the emotion got over. And uh, yeah, so that was the move from Bradford to Saints, which was a bit of a story there for you. But I mean, obviously with that, it's a lot of detail in there, like big, big memories coming to an end, like you said. How did you draw land under that and how did you cope with that in your mind to reset and then kick on and win? Like obviously that picture behind you shows uh, Saints. Uh, oh, yeah, which way? Yeah, that's one of the most favourite pictures I've got. There's another one where my two kids are at uh, Odsall in Bradford Tops somewhere where they're, they're overlooking the field and stuff. It's a great picture when they were younger. And, and that's what I was saying to you is, is that the last two clubs I played at, very, very fortunate because it was very, very family oriented. That, that helped. One thing as players, now seeing it now as a coach, is if the players, if the behind the scenes are happy to an extent where instead of just rolling the red carpet out and uh, give them everything they want, as long as they're, they've got to feel valued amongst it. So that's what they did at Sense and especially that's what they did at Bradford. Including your family in that. Yeah, that's, what, that's what I mean, that's more than anything. But we get paid to, whether it's coaching, playing or whatever it is, we get, we get paid to do a job. And the thing is, more than anything, is we, I hate to say this, but it's happy wife, happy lifetime mentality. We all know that. We all have them days when, when the, the wife's had the cauldron out, it's in for a tough day, isn't it? Or a tough night or whatever it is. So it's, as long as the cauldron doesn't have to come out, then we're all right. So if you keep I think with, with the game, ball, as a player, I'm sure, you know, get yourself into them. Places mentally where you have to go into a field of battle, but even now, to know as a coach and working rugby league, it's big hours, big days, and and you have your family out of there that they're probably suffering. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of just moving on a little bit, subjects a bit here is that's one of the biggest challenges at the moment. Is one of the things, and it's everybody's talked about it, and you read all the stuff and talk about how one of the important things is to have routine during lockdown and all this type of stuff. Going from things that's been so regimented in what you do and from a playing perspective in regards to what you've been told and when you're in and stuff like that. I think it's hard being a player. Nothing. Try and go behind the scenes and do the jobs that we do and have done and stuff like that. Then you know that that is actually a challenge. That is a routine. This is what work is all about. Like like the bloke who goes and works in the warehouse or the factory or whatever line of work people do where there is routine. That's, that's the challenge. Because it can get monotonous as well. It's down to yourself as well, but your own imagination to keep that fresh for yourself as well as the other players. And uh, that's the thing going on. From my point of view at the minute with this lockdown is 
that that routine and it's massive you don't appreciate it until you've actually lost it in one respect mm. you, have, you have the time to reflect on it because when I left Huddersfield that was about six to eight months of no work and stuff like that and that period of reflection was massive I think that's made me appreciate other things more after having that period for of reflection as I call it Lee. I'm a jump. I'm, I'm dominating some of these questions, Rob. I do apologise, but I'm going to I'm going to pull it out here now, Paul, because you just said it. Um, um, the Huddersfield, so much success at Huddersfield, and then leaving as a jump on to a little bit about coaching rather than playing. <coughs> leaving as a you know a successful coach won the grand. Uh, what was it called, Rob? They won the what? League leader shield. Yeah, won league, <laughs> league leaders, um, and. As a head coach of Super League, to leave that, and I, and I know you travelled the world a little bit, exploring certain things. Then, how did that period of time impact you as a coach? Has anything changed? If so, what? I'm, I'm leaving Huddersfield, you mean? From that period? Yeah, yeah. Like, from a coaching career, yeah, yeah, yeah. To now, I think one of the things I did a, a webinar thing the other day for the for Rich Tunnell with the uh, coaching things with the RFL and. I genuinely, you know, I talked about there about me. I think I've been very, very fortunate to be able to be in some positions. I might be underestimating myself. I don't know. I'd like to think I am, but it's when we, when uh, we got the role at Huddersfield as an assistant, it was a massive gamble because I could have kept playing. I had the opportunity to keep going at Saints, uh, but enough was enough. I got the I got the ultimate finish at the, at the right time. I made a decision. I stuck with it, and uh, going there was probably the right decision. Going there at the time with, with John Sharp and with Kieran Pert as a whole now was, was brilliant for me because one of the things as a player going into coaching, what you don't realise is the amount of detail and thought and planning that goes behind it. And I was saying to Rich on this webinar the other day is that John was really, really good for me at that point because it was so detailed. What are you going to say? What if I, and he challenged you in different ways and you come away sometimes. And I think I really struggled without that. Uh, the initial bit is going from playing to coaching with, with the contact elements and stuff like that. I think my home life struggled a little bit because of that. I was frustrated as all hell and all this, but then gradually things settled down. But John was really good. And one of the things he'd, uh, I'd come home on a night and think, he's a prick. Why is he doing this? Why is he asking these questions? Why is he saying this? Why is he saying that? And I know all along it was a challenge. And he, he always wanted you to be better. And it's one of the things we said was when he, go write the session on the wall, we'd go through it all, we'd talk about it, all three of us would be in there, along with Ben Cooper, the SNC and all that type of stuff. So one of the things we did is one of the first sessions I was there, completely gone into it blindfolded, if I'm being honest. We were thinking that, right, you've been, been very, very fortunate as a player, you've played in some good teams, you've been fortunate, you've been lucky, all this type of stuff, you've won things, this is going to be easy. <laughs> one of the things John said, he says, right, we're going to have a split warm-up, What's your thoughts on a little drill? I just went, uh, I liked waves. I like waves. So he's like, right, yep, no worries, you've got waves. Uh, and this just shows how naive I was coming from playing to coaching. I was thinking how easy it was going to be. So it got to the point, so I can't remember the exact detail. Let's say Coops has got one half the group and John and Kieran are still watching it. And I've got the other half the group. And, John, and somebody just goes to me and says, right, are you going to set this up? What do you mean, set it up? Is it not set up? So that, that's the mentality of a player, isn't it? Where you just go, 
<laughs> oh, so I've got to put the comms down. Is that what you're saying? All <laughs> oh, right. All oh, right. Yeah, coaching now, aren't I? And, mate, if you've ever seen, pardon my language here, but if you've ever seen a, a waves drill fucked up worse than what I did <laughs> in my first day of coaching, it was unreal. It was absolutely ridiculous. Got to the point where Kieran or John or Coops or whatever it was actually took it from me. So I've walked away doing yeah, there's a bit more to this, isn't there? It was like it was a ridiculous wake-up call. So after that, the biggest thing more than anything is I'm not worried about asking questions, and that probably comes down to being confident with myself as well now in regards to not worried about saying, well, what are you thinking here? Why would you do that? Or, Danny, we've had mountains of conversations. You just challenge each other off the back of it and ask a million questions. Big believer now in, part of my philosophy, you should be judged by the quality of questions you ask. Do a thing back of that, you've got to be able to listen to it, which I know that's that's a weakness of mine as well. So it was, uh, yeah, so going into coaching was, yeah, let's just say, wasn't it as easy as what you think it's going to be? Hence the reason probably why there's been so many players who've gone from playing to coaching who, who failed. I don't see them about it. I was probably on the tightrope tight, uh, tight for a bit there. Uh, but I had a bloke there with John and Kieran that uh, helped me and mentored me through it. Just before you go on to the leaving Huddersfield and then your journey from there into England and, and the RFL and then where you are now, you mentioned there about challenging your peers, challenging the staff around in questions. And yeah, you know, we've done that. You've done that for me. Um, and I think for that to be successful, you need to create a certain environment with. with with your staff and how, how do you go I mean, obviously when you're challenging somebody it's a pretty intimidating place to be um, how do you create that environment I think you've got to give them a question I, I think more than anything is that what, I, what you realise then now is even going back to that simple waves drill I was given the opportunity to fail then but if you don't if you don't have that opportunity to fail what opportunity have you got to learn and that, that's the thing more than anything is that it's Challenging people now, you do it with the academy. Like I was very fortunate to just feel we brought Kieran Pearl and he was a great experienced coach himself. So he challenged me more than him. And there were times there I'm thinking, Kieran, no, go away, leave me alone. Like that, but he was good for him. That's not a criticism, that's, that's a real good thing, a trait of his. And uh, I think what you've got to do is, is I think you've got to like, the, like what John did for me. It's like I do it now with Chris Rudd at, at Warrington with the academy. I'll say to him, Rudy, you've got 40 minutes, just put the team together, put your session together of, of some real basic core skill. I just want them to have load of ball on the ground. That's the only thing I want. And then all I do is instead of standing over him and watching what he's doing and stuff like that, I let him take the session, let him do it, and what's your thoughts on that? What, you, what did you like about what you did? What would you do better next time? Or then in, in what he does then is he's, part of that reflection again is that's not enough people do it you ask the questions then about what what did they do well who went well what did you do well what about you how did you go all that type of stuff you've got to give them the opportunity to fail at some point and if they don't fail they'll never learn yeah, just on that then like say so the early sort of part of your coaching career what would you say was your coaching philosophy in around there I don't know I got asked this the other week and I don't know and it's when I when I first started coaching or when I got, got the head coach's job, do you mean? Yeah, when you, when you, so you'd gone in there from your waves drill and then obviously yeah. from that period to then becoming head coach, how was your... One of, 
one of the things there is, is I worked with John for probably 18 months and John left, unfortunately. One of the byproducts of being coaches, you know, at some point somebody's going to get sacked and that happened to John. And I know John protected me a fair bit of this. I know there was probably questions asked. When I first went in there, we lost seven games straight, I just feel. The only difference was me. Doing <laughs> like, yeah, and it, my waves were that bad that we lost seven games. And uh, it was, I think John protected me a fair bit. Because there was probably questions being asked around me at the time. Which, if I'm being honest, my input at that point was probably 0.001% of the whole hundred that was there. And it was like a very, very little input on anything. I'd give an opinion if asked. That's one of, that's a trait as well. Is sometimes if people are failing, is if you've got to ask the question, do you want the opinion rather than giving it? Uh, team selections and stuff like that. You have an opinion, what's your thoughts? Because one of my things at the minute is that I'll just feel and stuff like that. I would always bring the physio in and have a whiteboard on the wall with player magnets and write it up there and I'd say, like we had Dave O'Sullivan, said, absolute brilliant physio working in England rugby and stuff like that and I've been to Japan with the World Cup and said, right then, what's DOS's team this week? I have no issues in asking for people's opinion. Rob, Danny, what's your team this week? All right. Greg Brown, who used to play a 4-4-2 formation with Greg Brown. So he's like the Christmas tree formations when he's putting the team up on the board and all this type of stuff. And it's like, all right, so why are you picking him? Because when you ask them questions, at some point there, you, you're going to hear something that you've probably not heard before. Oh, really? Mm, interesting, that. Then that, that makes you think a little bit more. So if you're constantly in your own bubble, then you're going to get blindsided by things. You've got to be able to ask these opinions and stuff. People who don't ask opinions, in my opinion, are probably probably teetering of, of, of either being successful or being very unsuccessful. There's a, there's a fine balance there for me. And just asking these questions and having the ability, and like that goes down to challenging your staff again, what you said I talked about there before. And it's So coming back to my philosophy as a, as a coach and what I've been on the journey, I generally don't think up until probably two or three years ago when I did actually leave Huddersfield, I had a fifth, I actually thought about theories and philosophies. I think philosophy is a, it's a big word. We all have ideals and we all have perfect scenarios. We did something the other day with all the Warrington staff. We just put a couple of clips, so let's talk about it. And it's amazing to sit back and actually listen to what other people's opinions are. And I got frustrated at points there because I was like, no, you're so wrong here, it's ridiculous. But then I had to remind myself that I've actually asked them to look at this from a point of view of perfection. Because all in, in every culture's mind, there's a, there's, a, there's a level of perfection that we're all looking for. Very rarely do we find it, if ever. But in our minds, when we see something, if we see a clip or whatever it is, he should be here, he should be there, he should be doing this, he should run to that shoulder, he should do that. That's perfection. That's, that's the level that we're all trying to attain, but very, very rare, because we're not out there under that pressure. And... We're doing it and I was getting frustrated by doing it because you're looking at it and you think, you know, you're not about here, perfection, don't exist. What could we do differently? That's the question you need to be asking. What would they do differently? And that's something in regards to philosophy. I can remember it at the beginning there at Huddersfield, we'd, <clears throat> we'd got a good team, I'm being honest. Hard working, honest team that wanted to rewrite the story about them. The, the previous stories of Huddersfield Giants was basically, a, yeah, they're all right, we're good. But at some point, they'll, they'll give in. So we was very, very fortunate that obviously my future, my previous career, I'd had impacts with some real high uh, high profile people and they were still playing. So 
one of the things was me, they rightly asking questions. I made about four or five phone calls to people, high profile players who I played with and against, and asked them, this goes no further, be no names goes to it. Uh, and when I want your honest opinion of Rudsford Jarry. Tell us what you think. Tell me what you think. I'm not going to be offended by anything. Because that's the other thing as well. If you ask questions, you can't you can't be offended, can you? You can't ask me a question and I'll go, no, you're wrong, dude. you're a prick, that's shit. You've got to think about it and go, actually, what I think is our strength is actually our weakness or something like that. And it's, yeah, so there and some of the things like coming out were full of big plays. Uh, I think they're working hard, but they're not. They'll give in at some point. They'll give you the chance. Uh, a lot of strong, really strong things that were said. And I was like, Jesus. This is not a coaching philosophy. This is about man management and trying to actually, it's a mental approach to actually break that strap, that uh, that mentality. And like I said, I was very fortunate that we had Carl Morris there, Kieran was there, so there a lot of good people. So going back to the stories, we asked them the question, we asked them, what's the perceptions of good belief about you? And well, do you know the surprising thing? The players come up with the same stuff. So actually it helps because they're thinking the same as well. As you said, look, I'm not putting names to it, but this is what other people think. Is this a coincidence? So the question that we asked was, how do we continue that story? So how do we continue being like this? And it was like, we don't want to. Well, you don't want to be that, so what are we going to do to make sure we don't do it? So there's a lot of other things. So the mantra for us in the first couple of years is, which story do we want to create? Do we want to keep creating the old story? Or do we want to start writing our new? Because the book of Udersfield Giants will go from 18, whatever it was, however old the club is, for another 100 years, if not more. So the, the story, the book will never be finished in regards to a sports club. But our chapters and our little segments within this book and our pages and our words that we put in it can have a profound effect on where we want to go as a team and then obviously then as a club. And that was the thing that we did. We broke it down on what story you want to create. And one of the things more than anything, which on reflection is more, I can remember being a prick in video sessions. I can remember being understanding, accepting, all the types of things, but I can also remember one thing where with the left edge there with Danny Brough, Joe Ward, Brett Ferris, Aaron Murphy, all great players, all good professionals, all challenging in their own different ways. And uh, Brett Ferris coming out of the eyes, and I wanted him to execute skill. And he tried to come up with an, an, an offload, and he come up with the error. And this is one of the responses I can remember from my point of view was, right, so I've got no issues in what you've tried to do. So what do we need to do now to make sure when that opportunity comes again that we get a better outcome. And it was interesting, if somebody who played Great Britain and England and all that type of stuff, he didn't really know the answer. It was like, you need to practice that. You need to practice that skill. So if you're a back row that likes to get your ball in one hand and promote the ball, that's great, do it. But also have the skill to make good decisions and bring the ball back and all this type of stuff. And it was like, that, that one conversation in a video room then that's made me start changing my philosophy in regards to practice the game what you should be seeing now do you see it because if it didn't change I think I'd have, I wouldn't even be in the position I'm in now because it's again my coaching philosophies would have been the same as everybody else's which then it's just like picking somebody out it's like counting sheep you've got to pick somebody out and pull them out I'm probably trying to be a bit different in regards to the coaching philosophy and that I think that was the start then of me starting to actually have some theory and philosophy and thinking about it. 
what does that look like? You said you start to change in about like you know the game, what it looks like, and maybe challenging practice to be a bit more real time. What yeah. does that practice look like? Uh, putting more time into that individual, putting more time into helping them scenario based, rip stuff, catch pass stuff, scenario based stuff. One of the things I love at the minute is chaos. I love it. Seven v four, seven v five games, eight v five, mixing numbers up. Making sure offense can, and making sure that rather than hit it with England last year, and one of the players purposely, I said to Nia Levals at fullback, I said, I want you to leave only four people in half the field defensively. And he did. And the halfback at the time just worried about getting to a post to put a big player on rather than going, actually, there's only four blokes in front of me here with half four. I've got this big back row center winger. All I need to do is get a mismatch in and walk in for a try. All I need to do, rather than worrying about, find, find me outside of that far post and we'll put this player on coming back. No, open your eyes, have a look in front of you, realise what you've got and go, right, I'll get a mismatch here. So one of the things I used to talk about there with ball player, isolate four man to put your back row on three man. So our left edge there with Brett Ferris, he could run different lines. Danny Brough would get the ball, his speed, change of speed and stuff like that, and his ability to straighten up. The amount of one-on-ones that Brett Ferris got, which then allowed him to promote the ball, allowed him to run through, allowed him to score tries, do all sorts of different stuff, just by a simple theory there of just seeing, playing what was in front of him, big spaces, mismatches, and then having good skill to execute off the back of it. It's a massive part of the game. I think the simple way to put my philosophy in place at the minute is is in offence, I think there's a lot of negotiables because we can always say and see different things. Non-negotiables is in defence. The, the systems and structures and stuff like that, that, I think, in my opinion, are gold standard that I think we all know. It's just the quality of practice and the quality of understanding that you get across that makes it better. It's a simple way of looking at things. and That's probably, like I said, the, the way the game should be played. Now I am now. And it all comes back to a point where we go, Actually, you're right. You should be doing that. You should be trying to offload. But why didn't you? Why didn't? Why did it not come off? I've not seen you practice it for a month. Is that why? We need to get back to doing some basic stuff as a as a coach and stuff like that. And our training for we're getting ahead of ourselves. Are we doing too much big picture rather than actually putting a lot of time into uh, the detail, the grit, the catch, the pass, all the other stuff that's around it. It's, uh, Fortunately, too many people don't see on here. Don't see enough of it. What you're talking about there, and how you, you know, trying to bring it all together there is, I think you show some massive signs of, of quality leadership. You know, being able to at Huddersfield there is, is what the people see us like, and what do we want to see ourselves. That's the end goal. You're giving them the picture, of, and not particularly you giving them it. You, you're creating autonomy. You're involving them players and the staff. But this is what we all agree with. Is what we're seeing. You're just the guy that's leading the way to get that. Allowing them to make mistakes on that journey, understanding that's part of the process, and then ultimately get what you got when you're head coach there. And, and I think how you're a f- going for, sorry. No, just on what you're saying there, I think, and I know this myself now, uh, this reflection again, it's massive. I know myself that we changed, and because without realising it, knowing that this is my philosophy, this is my, or my ideals, I'm not saying that works, it's a shit word in my mind. I remember where I'm from. I'm from Arfakers in Castleford and that word's never been used on that state. So it's all our ideals of how the game should be played. Uh, and, it's, and I know myself, is that changed? Because 
Andy Kelly said to me when he came in, from when he came in, he said to me, and he didn't say it, sorry, but he said it towards the end, is that, and he was honest with me, which is great, and he went, mate, this team hasn't got your, uh, it's, not got, it's not got you in it. It's not got your identity, your, it's not got your, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I said it the other day, personality. This words, this team's not got your personality all over it in the things that we're saying there now. It, it had too much structure. Now, on, on my coaching journey now, I can remember looking back and thinking, right, pre-season, now we're back year one, we've done well, fallen short in the big game, in the big dance, we didn't get to the grand final, which for a club like Huddersfield, making a grand final and potentially obviously putting yourself in a position to win it would have been massive. Winning the league leaders, I massively understated it. Because I thought, as a player, I've done it that many times. It wasn't until I actually left Huddersfield and started putting a CV together. I think I've won it seven times as a player. So it was like eighth times of coach, first time as a coach, eighth time in total. No biggie, this. The reality is for Huddersfield as a club, that's massive. Didn't celebrate, I didn't celebrate it enough. The players certainly did, but I didn't. I played it down too much. Uh, but from, from day one, year one to year two to year three to year four to year five, or however long we were there, the team... Team and my personality, the players' personality coming out of it gradually did this. It became too much structure. Does that make sense? You got to get just going against everything what I've just said there about when we win one last year. Why have you not taken that? Or why have you taken that? You need to get here to put this type of player. So my mentality, without realizing it, changed massively. And it's not until sometimes. I won't, I'm not, I don't think I'm a smart human being. Sometimes I need to be able to step back to be able to see what's in front of you. And you can't see the wood for the trees. And it wasn't until we left, and Andy, I remember reflecting and Andy Kelly saying that to me. And I thought, you know, something's bang on. You've gone against here what you think your ideals of the game are without really thinking about the ideals, philosophies, whatever it is. And you've gone away from it. And that's why you sat here now. When I left Huddersfield, I wanted to leave. I'd been and talked about leaving many, many times. If they didn't back me, they needed to sack me. So when, the, when that did come around, I was happy. I was happy. My wife wasn't. It's the first time really in our lives that we've been unemployed, which that's a scary thought as well. Investing all that uh, experience in some young kids at once and now they've got the benefit of that, which is fantastic for them and the club. Yeah, it's like I said, I think I said it earlier, Danny, is that you're not telling them because a book tells you that's what you've got to say. You're telling them because you've probably lived that life and you've probably made that mistake many more times than you've even thought about it. So you're telling them through uh, some eyes of, that have got it right. Like I just feel many, many things we've got right and there's many, many things we've got wrong. But as players now, as young players, there's, there's too many other influences in them that making them realise I mean, they can't fight their own battles if being honest somebody's got to fight them for them and uh, there's too many distractions in the round things to actually realise that actually he's trying to help me does that make sense I'm not, I'm not putting any of our players in the spotlight here or anything like that but there's been challenges along the way with young players especially I think the biggest challenge was me with young players to start with and doing the England stuff and obviously working with yourself and Danny and uh, working on them programmes and pathways probably help me get ready to do this. And there's been periods there where I probably have treated them like performance players rather than development. But I don't think in the big picture that's a bad thing really. We've still got to have that uh, understanding of the consequences of mistakes and errors that they make on and off the field. So it's, uh, it's challenging. I'm probably, 
in the most enjoyable part of my career at the moment. It's not the most rewarding financially and all that type of stuff. Super League is where the, the things are. But this is the most enjoyable part with the balance with home and work and all that type of stuff. It probably helps them a little bit longer in the two. Uh, kids are a bit older, so we ain't got all the impressions. But coaching these young players at Warrington, it's really, really enjoyable. And especially looking at a club that has the ability to sign very English. Mm-hmm. Also, underneath that is a driven passion to try and produce its own players. So it's uh, they've done that by bringing obviously Pete in and myself to try and uh, try and make things better for them. They're on that journey out there of learning and development, like you said, in your coaching career. Now you've touched on certain things as we've gone through. What's the one big area now that you're really focusing on yourself in terms of improvement? For myself, yeah. At the moment, it's actually coaching. I want to coach. Uh, that's not happening at the minute. The wife's, I'm sick of playing football around the table with the salt and pepper pots. But, uh, she's not happy with that. She, the marker plays poor at the minute. It needs to work on that. Uh, uh, she couldn't get her head in tight enough. We can all throw that as wives, can't we? Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think more than anything, I think from my point of view, I, I, I'd like to think I'm organised. I'd like to think I understand the detail. I think, I'd like to think I'm patient. As I've got older, I've become more patient. If previously I would be jumping off the rails and snapping at everything and stuff like that, I'm now probably a glass ass full type mentality. Let's let's just chill a little bit here. Let's have a reflect. Let's have a look at this. But I think more than anything, I've got to probably got to get my bike back. Got to get get that good balance right. But from my point of view, as a as a coach. I want to improve, I want to be around good people, which is where we're at. I'm, I'm confident where I'm at at the minute with the good people I'm around. I'm confident with the England stuff, got good people around that. England, the, the senior grade, they're in a good place. That was when they get going, they, I think they've got a, in Wayne, they've got a real good leader there, got a real passionate man for the, for our country as well as our game. And the, the, place, the game's in the right hands that way, which I'm going along with that. And at Warrington. Steve Price and Pete Ryder and people like that, they were instrumental in bringing me across there. And working with good people, good environments, I think that's the key more than anything. Challenge and change. Unfortunately, some people rebel against it and if they don't like it, it's unfortunate sometimes, isn't it? Just, uh, just on the back of that, what would you say is your, your biggest regret or your biggest achievement in the in the game? I think, obviously, you've got to look at winning us, winning silverware at Weirdersfield for the first time in 80-something years. But then also my biggest regret is probably not uh, celebrating that like I touched on before. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that's that's one thing. I think, well, do you know, one of the biggest things I've got in the career, and it's nothing to do with football, it's, it took, I've obviously been a rather large human being all my career. I've been absolutely been hammered and ruined by strength and conditions and stuff like that. And the biggest tip I can give to players at the minute, you've got to stay active. It took me 10 years to start getting active after playing, even though I was a coach. And coaching's if you want it to be, can be active. If it's not, it doesn't have to be. But I was, unfortunate. I've still got all my fingers and toes and stuff like that, but the joints that are around are a little bit creaking. It took me 10 years to actually start getting active again. And about three years ago, me and the wife, we started talking. And I got weighed and I weighed 145 kilos. So I was like, 
who's you eating here? <laughs> I was like, what's going on? So actually then starting to get active and moving again. That's the biggest thing. I'd like to think that I'd like, I'm in a good place at the minute physically. I feel all right. I'm very, very active. I'm probably more active now than probably was as a player. Which we mean, me and Lisa, like we were for what we walk all the time. I'm going after when we've done this, I'm off on the bike ride with my lad, and it's uh, there's more fitness and energy equipment in our house now than there probably ever was done when I was a professional player. <laughs> a regret would be is not being active enough. Going from playing to coaching, you put the hours in. As a coach, I was I was the first in, last out. So the gates and the doors, I would I'd be somebody beat me and I'd have the shits. So there's periods obviously when later in the night when other teams are in the round facility and whatever, then that's fair enough. But I would always want my staff, if you've done, go. I don't, I'm not keeping you here for forever. Remember, once I had a debate with Nathan Brown. Brown Brown is one of the best coaches you'll ever work with. He's, he was massive for me with the detail of the game. So I don't know, John was good in organisation. Browning just opened my eyes massively to. He was a point there where I think I'd be like, when I first started with him, it was like, I'm probably like these 16-year-old academy players are now with me. What's he talking about? I've no idea. And that's been my journey with young players, with, with senior men and stuff like that. There's an assumption that they understand things because of the history and, and the training history. These kids have got no training history. And when you're talking to a, a, a young outside back about how he's catching the ball and stuff like that, and he's look, they're just looking at you going, just let me just catch it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but there's different things that we can work with here to make things more consistent for yourself and stuff. And that's what it was like for me with Browning. I was like, why are you, you, you on about here? He was on about like, why he's not taking this, why he's not doing that, his hips turned out, why is he not running? And, and this is all going on within a game or whatever. And I'm like, then actually sit with him and do video sessions. And I was like, mate, I'm, I'm not seeing the same game as you. And I think that's why we, I think we work well together where he had all these things where I would just go, mate, no, you're kidding yourself. Wind your neck in here a little bit. All that type of stuff. But the detail he'd go into massively, massively helped me, even like to the point where people hold the ball, how they're going to pass it, have options of all ways, hold the ball one way rather than holding it three ways, if that makes sense. And people have got tells in how they're going to tip the ball, they're going to play long, they're going to play short, all that type of detail, approach from dummy out deception and all that and I was like never ever as a player I would actually think about anything like that just, I was just give me the ball let me run give me it early I want it off the floor uh, that type of stuff for Brownie was it was absolutely massive for me in regards to that detail and he's a good block as well but going back to the original point Brownie and Brownie and Tanya they'd got 100 kids they'd got 4 kids and uh, he, had, he had his 4th Jackson while he was over here and uh, there's only one place in the world he could not work, and that was at home. So every day off, we were all in the office and stuff like that. And we were in there getting everything ready and stuff. And I just said to him one day, he says, uh, mate, all my package is done here. Uh, do you want to have a look through it? Which is your right, I said, coach. Take that out, add that in, all that type of stuff, because we had a presentation the next day. And he just went, oh, I'm just going to go boxing for an hour. I said, well, if you're not looking at it now, I won't be here in an hour, I'm going. Anyway, he went boxing and he come back, I wasn't there. So we had a fair debate the next day. But that made me realise that, look, talking about your staff and things like that, it's like with Kieran. We'd talk about one or two things. I felt confident where he was at and some of the staff have had as well is that, yeah, I'm confident with that. Yeah, have you got that clipping? Yeah, no worries, right. Well, 
I don't need to go over everything with you. I trust you to be able to do the right thing. Um, it's that form that with me where if you you need to come in, if it's a if it's a player off or anything like that. No, I work from home. Work from home. I'll Skype you later, as it used to be back then. There was no FaceTime back then and stuff. So I'll Skype you later and send you stuff across, and we'll have a chat. We'll have a chat about it in the morning. So let them work when they work, but then also let them. If they were done, like if, if it would just feel if if we finished at one o'clock and they want to be on by two, I'd not no issues with that. No issues at all, as long as as long as the work's done, and the outcomes are good. I'm happy with that. Well, yeah, there's no question there. I've lost, forgot it again. Well, no, but, no, but, 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 you're pulling things out there. It's really good to Nathan Brown and, and how good obviously he was and, and the reason why. I think you've, you've touched on that stuff. It's probably really given us a bit more than the question that actually asks. I think probably just to wrap up, um, there's probably two questions we've got left and that's probably more for the people that are watching this. Uh, ultimately, the, the first one would be um, if you could ask any player or coach, past or present, any question, and it doesn't necessarily have to be rugby, it could be any sport, what would it be and why? Well, tough one that, don't I? Uh, I'll tell you what I think as well, I'm currently watching the last dance with Michael Jordan. Yeah. I'm currently watching that now, it'd be easy to go to people like him, but I think the drive that players like him, or people like him, have had, and then I'd do ability or the confidence, sorry. I know finances and stuff like that, it makes things easier. But for him and his prime to walk away from a sport, to go try another sport, I think that's ballsy. Yeah. And then to actually have the ability to come back to your original sport and kill it again. <laughs> I think that's just, it's just unreal. And then, and then that drive then to then become not only a multi-million dollar sportsman, but then to become a multi-billion dollar sportsman after, probably 20 years after you've retired. That's that takes some doing. Now, I know he's, he's not human. He's he had some uh, frailties and failings as people and stuff like that. But the one thing you can never challenge people like that is their drive. So I'd probably want to know more about what motivates them. Now, it's be easy with money and stuff like that. But when you've got money, money surely money doesn't motivate you. It's easy come easy go. That's probably why people think he's got a gambling problem because. Losing a million dollars doesn't mean anything. He's probably made ten million while he's lost that one million. Yeah, I think for when you're watching that that last dance with him, you know, I spoke to Rob about this, and I'd be interested in in is it Stephen is it Stephen Kerr? Is it the, the other guy? Uh, and how he handles yeah. certain moments in, in, in his stuff. But going back to Michael Jordan, what impresses me about him is he's explicit what he's going to do, and he does it like to put something out there and say he's going to do something. That's it. And then to back it up as well. How do you cope with that pressure? Saying how how good you're going to be and then go and do it. It's ballsy to do that. It's ballsy. I don't. I'd, I'd never have that. I would never be confident enough. Probably in myself and well, in myself to be fair. Because he's not really. really you look at that and initially about his teammates. He was so selfish. It was ridiculous. So going through what drives him to then turn. Obviously, he'd got the coach didn't believe in him and tried to educate him. Then he's gone from being all about him to all about us. That that switch, the drive to want to obviously want to win to, to start with, and then the on reflection and some help from obviously Phil Jackson, I think it is, he educated him to realise it's like the Muhammad Ali, it's me we thing. So to mm-hmm. to then actually realise that actually you can make these better, 
and become people thought it was a prick, didn't they? When you're listening to him, people think they're a prick. But actually, now on reflection, why we keep talking about, they actually realise that actually he made me better. We were never going to get to Michael Jordan level, but we tried, and it made us all better. Then ultimately, the, the uh, three on the trot and the five and seven or whatever it is, it's, it speaks for itself. And then to have, then have the drive as well to keep going and becoming a multi-billion dollar former athlete as it is now. I think it's, uh, it's impressive. Very impressive. I'd just like to know how we could smoke so many cigars and keep playing at that level. That'd be interesting. Yeah? You know, how much those cigars cost? That's what I'll be thinking about. <laughs> that, 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 that drive when you've got everything. And you probably need nothing to have still have that drive, it's massive. Yeah. How many people we'll, we'll, do, we'll do that for you. We'll we'll get into it to big MJ and we'll ask him ask him that question for you. <laughs> you're next. I'm a precursor. <laughs> Even before you but you're you're usually kept the only Yeah, we just don't release them. just off the back of that, um like I say we're we're speaking about or we're asking everybody and you've touched on as well already about, about chaos um, within your coaching, but what is your best drill or sort of go-to activity and why? So, not wait, don't say it's waves because it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've not done it since 2003. Uh, no, uh, I think simpler the better. Simpler things are better. Repetitive, simple things, they're the key. My, my, I love, like I said to you before, you can't do it all the time, but if, if I had... If I was uh, stuck with something and, you know, there's times as coaches, your mind can go blank and you just, that's why we have session plans and scribbles everywhere and stuff like that. Your mind goes blank and things mess up. And one of the things I love playing is these young players love playing games. They love playing games. The facilities at Warrington got, and and I touched on this the other week with, I think, when we have fields, or, and all this is the thing is to talk about facilities and what have you, I think the smaller the facility you have, the better you should be as a coach. Because your imagination is then the problem. So if you have a, an area, if you have a piece of grass that's 30 by 30 metres wide, what that stops you from doing is thinking about bigger picture structure. It makes you realise, uh, actually, I'll break this down. I'll, let me break the game down. And let me do what I do. How can I play a game? How can I replicate something in a game in this space? So what, I'll play a 7v4 game. You're only allowed one marker. This time now, we'll change it over. You've got five defenders, you've got to have two marker. Uh, you've got to go front, back, front. You've just got to go front. Two-hand touch. The, the defence have got to go on the floor. All those types of stuff. So constantly just changing the rules and challenging. And don't make mistakes. That's what it's designed for. That's what that chaos is about. Because them scenarios then, we can never ever replicate what happens on the field. But that's as near as damn it, that type of chaos. So it makes them think about all the unstructured stuff that you've done. If he gets to hear this is the line you should run, all this type of stuff, your shoulder, I'm thinking out here, I'm communicating, I'm communicating under pressure, not under a, under a sterile environment where, right, we've got to play the ball there, we've got A, B, C, dummy half, I want you to get to B and I want to lead inside C or outside or at C or whatever it is. That's a sterile play which we all play them plays. My simple theory on the game is we all do the same shit, just yours will smell different to mine. It's as simple as that. And we all try and do the same things, but just that chaos. What if he doesn't get to see? What if he gets to, sorry, what if he doesn't get to be? What if he gets to A, what do I do? Or, uh, right, because you've not practiced some chaos type stuff. 
and I think it's massive. Little 5v4, bust through pads, have somebody jump on top of you, you've got to get the pass away, all that type of stuff. But my go-to would be small-sided games and uh, lopsided games in regards to numbers to create and get people to get their eyes up and see where people are. Because that's a trait in the game at the minute that we no longer have. We're too busy about find, finding a post to put a play on. Talked just one fire, I know I can witter on a bit here, but we played an academy game before obviously before this, and there was a double header with reserves. And Benny Westwood was there watching. He just said to me, You're missing it. I went, Missing it? Why would you miss Benny get to me to post? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, It's fair point, not? And that's that straight away, obviously, when you, for people say things and stuff like that, and you think about them. Somebody who's probably played through an era where you know he's younger, where Hey boys, there's the ball go play. So then to probably with different coaches that he's played with at Warrington throughout the hundred years he's probably been there. And how things change all the time. And that's not a shot at Steve Price, that's probably a build up a legacy of everything that's gone throughout what's been there. And he's that's his transition from an edge to a middle. Get me to a post. So why would I miss that? I thought, you know, something bang on. Now our philosophy is at Warrington with the Academy. We have one tap start and one scrum play and that's it. That's how we do. Off back of what you create off that first involvement, then that dictates what you do next. Rather than worrying about getting to the point. If it does break down, we just ask them to find somewhere and think shape over structure. Rather than worrying shape, I mean fall into shape naturally. Should you should you wait to tackle three so everyone's behind the ball to play? Or can if you've got shape and they're all tightened up, can we move the ball on one to get them? Telling you now, we'll look at me and know what's going to come. Won't we? so, <laughs> it's, uh, that's the thing is, is to play what you see, play what you see, play unstructured games allows you to do that. Fantastic. Sweet. Well, um, probably it's probably just start wrapping up there. Um, first, from from my point of view, I think it's been outstanding insight. Just your experience both as a as a player and a coach, um, and your journey. I think it's massive for for any coach or for any player to listen to. You know, obviously that that view of this. Um, so thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, fellas. Yeah, no, cheers, Paul. Thank you for your time. I hope you enjoy your bike ride. Um, I'm sure your missus will, will beat you. Um, That's long enough now without uh, going out on a bike. <laughs> well, have a look, put your feet up there and have a little bit of a rest. All right, well, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate that, Paul. And you take care during this period, mate. Good stuff. Stay to you, fellas.